This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. This month, Siberia will release their new album, Seeds of Change, via Blacklight Media Records. Siberia craft intricate and involving instrumental rock opuses, and they have never sounded more assured than on Seeds of Change, following in the footsteps of Caspian, Mogwai, and Russian circles. Their instrumental works are complex, yet instantly accessible, weighty, gorgeously melodic, and always deep moving. Purchase your copy of Seeds of Change by Siberia now at blacklightmediarecords.com slash Siberia. Once again, Siberia, Seeds of Change. Purchase it now, blacklightmediarecords.com slash Siberia. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petr Spych, Brandon Hahn, and Sylvia Alvarado. Metal Sucks Podcast. What's going on, everybody? It is I, your host, Petr Spych. I am always joined by... My name is Brandon Hahn, you goddamn sons of bitches. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Mr. Hahn Comedy. And... No, I'm not going to call you guys sons of bitches. Mm-mm, you're it's so too sweet. intense. I know. Uh, it's Sylvia. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's the Sylvia. And make sure to follow our other co-host, Jocelyn Sharp, at Jocelyn Sharp on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's J-O-Z-A-L-Y-N Sharp. And if you want to follow me, guys, I'm at Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter. Rise to Offend Official on Instagram. This week, back on the show, we got Will Putney, our, one of our favorite producers. Love chatting with him. Another great chat to add to the catalog of the podcast we've done. And uh, we're here to promote the latest record from Fit for an Autopsy, The Sea of Tragic Beasts, which came out this past Friday, guys. So make sure if you haven't heard it, pick it up. The record fucking slays. But before we jump into that interview... Let's talk a little bit about Metal Sucks News, guys. The big story that I thought was the big story was when Chris Adler left Lamb of God. Now, Vincent Axel, they keep saying it. It's in the articles that we read about Chris Adler. It was like when Dave Lombardo left Slayer for the first time. And that's like the perfect example because you're like, it feels like something's way off. This perfect team that made it to the echelon of metal for music that never should have made it to that level because it's too heavy. Like one of our faves, if you may, and then uh, a founding member like Chris Adler, kind of the face of the band for a lot of guys, walked away or was let go, whatever. In July, Lamb of God made that post. And then finally, Chris Adler, while he's out there playing with an all-star cover band called Hail, there was a statement that was released. So I'm going to read the statement in full and you guys tell me what you feel, he okay. says. Okay. Now okay. I'm going to stop at paragraphs because it's a little bit long, but it's still a great, it's, it's, Good statement. So this is what Chris Adler had to say finally about not being with Lamb of God anymore. I feel it's time to address the many questions being asked about my departure from Lamb of God. Allow me to start with a relative concept of understanding. We all gave our lives to this. 26 years is not flippant. Each one of us sacrificed and lost much on a personal level to live the dream we had when we were kids. I will always love each member of the band for believing in me and agreeing to take on the world. We managed to find some love in the machine, but in turn, it took things that cannot be recovered. I did not leave the dream. I did not make the decision to leave my life's work. The truth is that I am unwilling to paint by numbers. 
I wish my brothers all the best in their continued ventures. I can assure you that you will hear from me again. I was given a gift and hope to continue to share it. Let's stop there. There's more. Okay. What does that say to you guys? It makes me think that they fired him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And But he was like, no hard feelings. I, it, it wasn't like mutual. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm it, saying. It's like, I think they, they kind of cut him loose, but he was yeah. like... It's fine. You guys do your thing. I'll do my thing. Right. And everything's... We're still brothers. Right. It sounds like there might have been some, you know hard times in the band because i mean you're with somebody for 26 years i mean jesus that's i can only imagine the kind of things that get dug up constantly yeah. fights after fights mm-hmm. after fights you're and then, basically family at that point and you don't care if you're gonna fight because eventually you're gonna get back together you're gonna make up you know exactly and that's the thing so it's like i think they ended up going on the road you know obviously they got another drummer and he fit the bill perfectly i mean he's still amazing but he's not i mean you know there's only one chris adler there's only one guy that drummed on all those amazing records that we all love lamb of god for so i mean it's sad to see him go but uh i do think he's gonna come back much like lombardo yeah i mean he definitely took the high road in that first part but then as you said at the end it was like look this wasn't my decision So obviously we're going to ask questions. There's going to be details that we want. Obviously he doesn't want to say anything bad about anybody in Lamb of God. And that's what I got from the first part. He's like, I'm not going to say anything bad about these guys. They're my brothers. Unfortunately, brothers fight sometimes and and it just didn't work out. But I did not leave. It it sounds like he did not leave. Like you said, he was fired. Well, it's it's tough to have a band because especially a band that's that's coming from the ground up because everybody wants to put their spin on it. Yeah, for sure. And when you have an idea for a song, like let's just say Randy writes a song or or, or somebody writes a song and they go, uh, I want it like this. And, you know, with one of the founding members, they might have a little bit of kickback on it. Well, I don't really like that. I'm Mm -hmm. not really feeling it. But if you get a hired gun drummer, oh, yeah, no problem. Whatever you want. So, I mean, there could be it could just be a battle of egos for right now. Mm. Continuing on with his statement, guys. Many have asked about a motorbike accident I had in Thailand in 2017. It's true that it was not pretty, but I've been well since August of 2018. Thank you for your concerns. I support my friends and the dream I allowed them to share in. I loved and am still humbled by every second of the smiles and horns we elicited. There is an ambiguous concept in our world of selling out. I cannot define that outside of my personal understanding, but know that being trapped in a creative formula and or playing the same song 10,000 times did not bolster my love of playing. I've never been one to phone it in. I'd rather mow the grass. I acknowledge and am truly grateful for achieving my childhood dream. I have two Grammys that sit on my mother's mantelpiece. I think she deserves three, so this party isn't over. I was not given a choice in this, and my dream is alive. Feel free to say hello if you see me mowing the grass. It never gets old. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you, Chris. P.S. I may or may not be in touch with Kyle Thomas and Maroney about an Oakland Raiders concept album. This is neither confirmed or denied. Chris... Las Vegas yes, Raiders. Yes, please. Come on. Let's get what with the it. Fuck, You're just going to make one last Oakland Raiders uh, album? I don't want to <laughs> shit on your statement, but the Oakland Raiders are gone. They're going to be gone. That triggered Vegas. You. Exactly. Uh, They're in stage Raiders. four right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. But he really stresses that uh, it wasn't his decision. Yeah. That was the second time he said that. Said it twice? Yeah. 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 Uh, but again, but he also said that, you know, playing the same song over and over again, I he did say it didn't lessen his love, but at the same time, there was like a hint of, I want to do something different. For and sure. I mean, his brother is in the band, yeah. you know, and that's another thing that a lot of people have to consider that there is a, an actual family member in the band. For me, what I hear 
is that Chris Adler wants to play new songs. He doesn't want to play Redneck anymore. I don't want to play Lay to Rest anymore. I don't want to play the hits. I want to play the shit that we're creating, and I don't really care. I don't want to appease to the fan base. And the rest of the band's like, no, dude. We, we got to make money. Yeah, we fucking have, hits. We have a formula. We yeah, need to stick to we it. We need to just stick to it, you know? And I think the compromise, if I see a compromise, is like, you know what? Take an old song that we all know and love. All you need is the chorus and fucking mash that shit up and play it interesting for fans. Maybe that would have worked for Chris Adler. I don't really know. Lamb of God's not one to stay, to, to change anything or, or be inventive with the songs. They play it by the numbers. And that's always been them. We've seen them live how many times? 25? In that case, it'd yeah. be understandable. If you're playing this pretty much the same thing for 26 years, like over and over and over. You want to do something new. And then the flip side of the argument is that he's in an all-star cover band. Yeah, but at the same, but he's not playing, he hasn't been playing those same songs for tw- like two 20, decades yeah. almost, you yeah. know? I, mean, I understand that. I understand that. And I, I I would love to hear Chris Adler cover any goddamn song. That's what I'm getting Don't get at. me wrong. But like when you look at Dave Lombardo, where did he go? He went to Grip Inc. He went to Phantomas, dude. And he did all this art stuff that was like absolutely anti-mainstream. But then so, he eventually he came back too. Eventually he came yeah. back. So I think what happens is... And that was is, probably one of my favorite shows I've ever seen, that Rain and Blood show. So, I think yeah. what happens is he just needs a break. I from think that's just, what it is. Let him do his own thing and you know, when he comes back he'll be refreshed. And, and maybe you know. he was bitching the entire time. Maybe yeah. he was bitching and they're like, dude, I don't... And everybody in the band's like, dude, I don't want to hear the bitching. It's and like then, a separation. They just need a... Just a break. They're and, taking a and break. And that's what I think is happening. I think, I think right now he's going to go out there just like he said he's like uh you know my mom deserves a third grammy i mean while his brother's in the band you know but again it's like i'm sure he wants to come back i'm sure he will come back eventually uh but i think he's just got to go out there and get i think he's got to learn to love his craft again just just learn to love music again i mean this is recent he just got out he's been healthy he just said he's been healthy since august of 2018 so i mean it's like that's it's a little over a year but Mm -hmm. that's still there to put together a new project and stuff like that that stuff takes time and And i'm sure there was a lot of arguing with lamb of god at the point it doesn't even sound like you know it it was on bitter terms yeah you know so i think if he came back it be- was high road yeah. yeah yeah he took the yeah, high yeah, road totally. here but again the questions I, I i feel like it's a thing where people take high roads and then they they insert little digs it's like a new way of people talking it's like i'm gonna say the high road by the way let me say something real direct you know it's no like, it's just like little jabs but, but I it's think like a healthy. read between the line thing but i didn't you know? get a jab i didn't, didn't get, get a jab? that i did i got i got, I got a jab i got like I got a little, little like little stabs no, here I, there's there's a there's a jab but there's also so let me just say, this is how it, I feel. That wasn't that wasn't him lying. There was no, an no, olive exactly. toothpick in there. There was yeah. a little bit of a something. Okay, I'll yeah. give you that. Like a sword, like an yeah. olive sword. Yeah, yeah like the one that you find. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. you can like poke in somebody's shoulder and it just breaks. It doesn't hurt really, but you're like, what are but you doing? But it's like, ouch. There was a little bit of that mm-hmm. in there. Okay. A little bit of yeah. that. Okay, maybe I'll, okay, I'll relent to that. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> But it's like, it's like <laughs> that was his words, though. I know, but I'm just saying that's look, not a look, jab. Let me, let me say this: anything with Chris Adler statement about leaving Lamb of God, you don't have to even say what he said. That's going to get the click, dude. They, I mean, I guarantee you. I don't know how many clicks articles get, but I, I when I saw look, this, I was driving and I and I clicked on this to read while driving. <laughs> that's Vincent how Axel. bad I wanted to read doing? this, Vincent <laughs> Axel. If you're listening right now, make sure you republish this by, and say Chris Adler's talking mad shit, yo, and see how many clicks you get. Uh, he wasn't talking. I mad know shit. He that, wasn't. that's a lie. Don't I know. Do don't listen to Brandon. So was the internet. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> Next thing we want to touch on. Speaking of, 
mm-hmm. bands and people that reunited. For me, Zach Wilde was always Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player. We all remember when they broke up for that little time period and Gus G took over. We saw him live with Gus, Gus G. Gus was amazing. He was amazing. We saw him live. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and then Zach, Zach is Zach. And Zach is Zach. Exactly. So Zach Wilde came back just like we're hoping Chris Adler will down the road. And so we're all excited because he's on tour. Ozzy's older. You know Zach Wilde will run around and do his wah-wah pedal and steal the show like mm-hmm. he always did. It's great. And so we know that Ozzy's working on a new solo record. We're excited about the solo record with Zach. No. Zach Wilde had nothing to do with Ozzy's new solo album. That sucked when yeah. I read that. Man. I really was hoping that maybe we would be able to hear some Zach flavor in that yeah because yeah. i you know my favorite all-time ozzy song ever is perry mason he says this every time every single time perry and mason dude is... and zach crushes it let me say this i've actually said on the show that they'll never play perry mason live and i know that he was doing the guitar opening to perry mason but they didn't sing the song that was during a solo oh. so he did do a little perry mason so i stand corrected brandon he obviously has oh, an affinity still, for that that's got to be the it's got to be the whole song because god damn that song crushes Rushes. And Zach rushes on that song. And Perry Mason solved crimes. He solved crimes. He saved people and shit. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. He was before Murder, She Wrote. He wouldn't talk Ooh. shit about his band. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man. So with that, uh, disappointing news on that front. Another story that I wanted to touch on real quick before we jump into our interview with Will Putney, guys, is that Tool's Danny Carey says, I don't think that we were ever a metal band talking about Tool. I don't ever saw tools in metal. Band. I never saw I, tools. In metal I'm trying band. to think of what like the genre you can put in. I would, they're alternative. They're, they're, see, I would say growing up in alternative land, every like Primus is in a metal band. Tools not a metal band. Faith No More is not a metal band. Uh, it, they're alternative. They're 90s alternative. alternative. I would say like progressive alternative. Sure, you know? but like, they're yeah, still in I that mean, alternative. You know, right category right right because that's the thing i mean it's like metal you think hard you think riffs and no, just sure, like sure. but with tool it's just like you just I have would, these sagas i would, I would mm-hmm. call tool alternative metal okay i would you mean progressive but i mean they they have the i mean when you well, listen, they got the chords. when you listen to undertow that's about as that's really heavy record for like 90 like 93 when it came out that was a really heavy record i remember i was a little scared you know because I know like typo negatives not considered metal by some people, and I'm like, well, yeah, but typo negative. See, I consider they're typo negative more. I consider goth. them more metal than. I was going to say like they're more goth, right? Yeah, but yeah. I, I guess you see that. And that's funny because I don't think they're heavier. Than Tool. I don't think they're. I don't think they're heavier than Tool. But I mean, it's like, but just just getting it out there, pounding out some power chords, mm-hmm. getting deep. You know, that was that was typo. Like Tool, on the other hand, it's like they remind me of a hard version of Rush. You know what I mean? With a singer that I like. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> okay. Way to put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> that is the Achilles heel for me as well. Yeah, I can't do it. I don't want to talk do, shit. Aw. I don't want to talk shit about Rush. But yeah. 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 Every now and then you'll be into a Dream Theater record and James LeBray would just sing and you're like, fuck, he took me out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, three, two, one. I'm done. <laughs> oh, I was so into that tune. Except for Metropolis. That's flawless. Anyways. Okay. So we can all agree that Tool is more alternative. Yeah. In that uh, alternative yeah. category. Uh, uh, but okay. again, though, but, what's, but look at what's considered alternative now. 
Like I, it, it's changing. I that's don't even think there is an alternative. That's what now. I'm there getting. Yeah. It's evolving. But you know what though? They called uh, they called Nirvana you know, alternative. Nah, I know they called grunge. them grunge, but I mean, grunge. but they but they but in the beginning they called them alternative. We yeah. can argue forever about subgenres. Remember, we'll Kennedy. just say this anyway. Kennedy on. from from Alternative Nation on MTV. Oh, I think I was a 120 minute Matt Pinfield guy. Yes, I well everybody was. I think Matt Pinfield was the best they had. He was just the most knowledgeable. Ah, uh, see, I don't. Remember. I remember Kennedy, but I don't remember. Alternative nation. It doesn't matter. The point is the subgenres, whatever. We all, we all, we all take ownership of alternative metal, punk rock, hardcore, everything. That's us. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. We take, we take ownership of all of it. <laughs> we'll give you guys hard rock. You can have that. Fine. Fuck. We'll, we'll give up hard rock. Meaning we gave up ACDC and Led Zeppelin, but we'll take all the metal shit. No, no, no. I'm taking ACDC. No, okay. Okay. I'm drafting ACDC no, number one. If there's like a metal, if there's like, we should do that. A metal draft. <laughs> metal draft. A metal draft. And Sylvia I... chooses Prince. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh wait, well, which one was it? Like. Bambi Prince? No, we'll take him. We'll take him. We'll take Prince. We'll say it. Let's, we're totally fine, dude. We're totally fine with Prince on being a metal guy. So with that, guys, let's get to a band, unquestionable fucking heavy metal, dude. And that's going to jump into our interview with Fit for an Autopsy's Will Putney. Everybody, what's going on? It's Better with Metal Sucks on the phone. Back on the show, I got Will Putney. We are here to talk about the new record from Fit for an Autopsy, which is coming out October 25th, The Sea of Tragic Beasts. What's up, man? How are you? Good, my man. Good. Um, the Sea of Tragic Beasts, as we mentioned, is coming out October 25th. Uh, tell us about why you titled the record this and what it represents to you. Uh, it's This one's crazy. I actually woke up. I'll do so. I'll write a bunch of lyrics right before I go to bed sometimes because when I'm in that like state where I'm about to pass out, weird stuff comes out. And uh, actually, what I, I wrote this down before I went to sleep, but I didn't remember it. And then I had this crazy dream about um, like a world being swept away by a storm, and there's some guy and he's out like in the, in the ocean. It, was, it basically played like this crazy movie in my head. And, and he returns back home and he realizes that, like, everything, that all the people that he knew actually deserved to die. It was, like, this really, like, dark, sad thing. And, like, the last thing he said in my dream, I woke up and it was that. And I had written it down before I went to bed. And I was like, I'm obviously calling the record this now. And then I'll just work everything else around it. So that's where it came from. Some just psycho, weird, middle-of-the-night dream session I was having. But the... What the, what the title actually means is like it, it sort of sums up the record in a cool way uh, anyway because we kind of touch on sort of like the darkness and the flaws and all different types of humanity and the way people treat each other, the way people act, the problems in the world. Like every fit record always kind of runs through some, some version of personal social issues and uh, the Sea of Tragic Beasts is just a really cool way of summing that up that we're all the just kind of sad animals just floating around together and all the problems it creates. So I, I was really stoked on it as soon as I, uh, as soon as I like read it, uh, you know, when I wrote it down, I, I got really fired up for it. And I, and I just kind of, that was the jump off for me to start working on lyrics for the whole record. Excellent, man. I, I like that. So that was before the artwork, before everything, this idea was the first uh, seed, if we will, for the entire record. Just this. Yeah, it was the first words I had written down, so it was kind of cool. It's never happened like that. Normally, 
I'll almost have like a whole record of lyrics done and then I'll kind of go through, see what everything means, you know, try to pull a title from a song or a line or something or, or, or like have to think about it post, you know? And this time it was literally the first thing I wrote down was, was that. And I was like, cool, well, there's our, there we go. We're started. You know, first song released mirrors is about the patterns and habits we see as children that negatively may, we may adapt to, and not quite grasp until later in life. Our, our parental figures usually get the most blame for this. What are your thoughts on this and the lyrics for that specific song? Yeah, I mean, the, the lyrics are, obviously, if you've like read the lyrics or if you've seen the video, you know, it's kind of leaning towards somebody who lost someone because of, you know, a drug addiction. Um, it's, you know, globally, it's more more along the lines of what you said, sort of like, there are these things that we just carry with us through life. You know, something happens to you when you're younger, you witness something, you're just affected by something. And it's just, you know, whether you realize or not, or whether it's present every day, it's just becomes a part of who you are and it can come back later in life. And it's sort of like this inherent thing where people carry these dark moments through their lives and it changes them, you know? And the whole concept with the mirrors thing was like seeing actually coming face to face with that, realizing that it's something that never really you were able to let go or never let go of you. And, you know, the way we have the way the song ends with with those lines about how, you know, you can't let you go. You can't let it go. It it sort of was a really cool as an idea that I was left. You know, I, I had read a really cool book about how children when they grow up in broken homes they do tend to have problems later in life that are not associated with anything else but their upbringings and it's just this big problem that we have um with kind of i wouldn't call them debbie parents but pa- parent but you know parents that have issues and how it translates down generations you know through through family lines and stuff and it's all it's always a topic i was interested in and i wanted to do some version of a song like that and yeah, I'm really stoked the way it came out. Max, Max Moore killed it on the video. It's the first video we ever did where we just weren't even in it. You know, we wanted to tell a story and stay out of the way of it. And I, I feel like he nailed it. And I, yeah, I'm just really happy with that one. I do like to, to keep going with what we're talking about with that because therapy will always find a culprit for the negative aspects of your experience. But the trauma usually leads to the paths that are chosen. Um, and we're not generalizing. We're just discussing if we may but how do you feel about the responsibilities of the individual choice when the wrong path was chosen prior from the perspective of the of like the child or from the parents i guess from the perspective of the child we would go with because that's going to eventually become i guess the path that's kind of subconscious do you is that fair kind of to just sure i mean I, you know, I, I was fortunate where I didn't grow up in a terribly traumatic situation, but a lot of people close to me, uh, did, you know, and I've seen, you know, for, I've, I've, obviously it goes both ways. I've seen people use that as a, as a base point of like, okay, when I get older, I don't want to be like that. Or if I have a kid, I'm not going to be the kind of parent my my mother or father was to me you know so some people use that as a as a reflection to say no i need to do better i don't want to bring this into the world i don't want to i don't want to put this on my family or my or my children and for some people it's inescapable and it's not necessarily their fault it's just you grow up a certain way that's what you know you're taught 
the foundations of your life from your parents and you taught what's right and wrong and people are able to see it from a different angle later in life or not. Some people it's just becomes embedded almost like a, in a genetic way where it's like, yeah, that's just who you are now. And it's sad, but it's like that, that's the reality of it. So I don't really, you know, I don't know. I, like I said, it's not something that happened to me. I'm only reflecting on it from what I've seen from other people. So I don't know how, how embedded that is and, only I can only say from seeing how people have been able to change or not that I think it goes both ways, you know. I feel that observation from looking, seeing it happen is always a little more honest than the internal one. I know that sounds kind of like, I don't know if it sounds judgmental, but you're seeing it happen and you don't have anything. You're kind of just rooting for a person to break out of the habit. And then when they're in it, I feel like there is always a cloud that holds them in, whether it's habit, whether it's um, insecurities, things like that, you know, but one thing I do feel that every individual does need is like a community for growth and the individual, uh, he has a say in embracing the community that they want to be a part of. Do you feel that's true in a statement or do you feel we're kind of like led to certain ways? I think so. Like I said, it's like, it's for me, it's crazy hard to generalize like how to solve a problem like this because mm-hmm. it would for different people, it's going to apply differently, but any any situation where someone can be surrounded by a supportive, healthier community than a dysfunctional, destructive one is clearly going to eventually rub off or have some kind of benefit for that person. You know, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I feel the community is vital. I think to a lot of people that um, might not have found it at home to to find a, a positive part of a community, and I, I really that's what I always try to push with like metal music. Doesn't matter what scene. But there's a, a positivity in anything, you know, when yeah, you're trying exactly. to find your identity. Um, and that community is such a big part because we always, we always have that I'm an individual mentality, you know. But, like, eh, I, always, I always question, like, how individualistic can we really be, you know? Sure. And, like, I, that's part of what, you know, if there's any positive message that comes out of our band, which there really isn't we're generally a very negative, angry band. But it's the, the 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 art form is just a method of expressing anger and frustration and sadness to kind of get it out and that in itself is therapeutic. And then what we see is kids who can relate to these songs who go through this kind of stuff. We're not giving them like a light at the end of the tunnel, happy ending ever in any of our music. You know, we're just painting the picture and the reality of the world, and it's kind of it's dark and it's sad and it, it doesn't make you feel good. You know, the records that we make are designed to make you feel uncomfortable and think a little bit. And what happens is kids relate to the songs because they find a common bond. Other people have gone through these things. Other people feel the same way we feel. And just the idea of not being alone in the world and having some kind of community where there are people that feel the same way and share the same frustrations, it actually helps a lot of people. And, and in the, the act of being a negative band actually does something positive for a lot of people out there, which I didn't really anticipate ever happening, you know, but we see it a lot and we talk to a lot of fans and kids who are, you know, we really help them in a way by just sharing the stories and, sh- and painting the pictures of this reality. So, you know, having even just our community, you know, of, of music and, and dark, heavy music, um, it can be therapeutic in that way, you know? Absolutely. No, I think frustration, cynicism, all these things have negative connotations, but when you put them in a art form, 
and there is a genuine, you know, vibe or feeling or emotion behind it, I think that that really makes it resonate. And yeah, like you said, it doesn't make you feel alone. Records are, are, for the most part, a lot of people in our scene, records are our best friends. You know, growing up during times, that's what we turn to opposed to uh, talking. A lot of people have that mentality in, in the scene that I grew up in. Um, and I and I think that that puts you in check more than, you know, uh, a person that you choose to listen to that's close to you, you know, in a lot of ways. So it's 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 vital to have that kind of, I don't want to say it's an ugly art form. I've said that before, and I've gotten grilled on that. But there is an ugliness to, you know, the, the whole presentation of that. Do you, do you think? That, sure. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, of course. I mean, when I was a kid, I went to a high school where I was probably the only kid in my high school that listened to, like, hardcore. Or, or really heavy or really heavy aggressive music and i was definitely alienated because of it you know i was like looked at as the weird kid and stuff and it didn't bother me looking back on it like at the time i didn't think it bothered me because i had these, these records and i had shows to go to and i eventually made friends and stuff but it's like yeah i definitely leaned on that community earlier in life because i wasn't as socially accepted by the kids that I was surrounded by, you know, and if I didn't have that, I don't know, maybe I would have liked something else, but I don't really know how I would have turned out, you know? So I, I, I agree with you there. Like, you know, even though it's dark and scary, it's still, um, it's still like a place to feel accepted and welcomed. So it's kind of cool. Absolutely, man. Every generation, I think, um, as I get older and I'm sure, I don't know if you feel the same, but every, every generation should be like an upgrade from the previous one. Um, and the voices I hear seem to perpetrate that for the most part. But the thing that I always find weird is that power is always the true benefactor to change and relinquishing that as a challenge. Now, even me and everything I worked for, for the power I have or whatever I have in my life, for me to give that up would almost be an impossible task. What are your thoughts on earning power and then giving it away to uh, a generation prior to you? I mean, I'm in a weird position because of like what what I do, like on a day to day basis, producing records and stuff. I'm fortunate enough to be pretty dialed into like our whole scene, like for the most part. Like I work with a lot of bands in the hardcore world and in the metal world, and like in some extent, I have this kind of influence on on what's coming out, you know, to on a small scale. But I definitely feel like I, there's like a bit of power to being able to sort of direct where some of this music is headed to, to some extent obviously a lot of it's on the bands i'm not trying to say that i, I control this kind of stuff but I, I definitely am influencing the current state of of heavy music a, a little bit you know and um when i once i like realized that i realized that um it would be important for me to try to align and work with people who were going to push forward the right kind of, whether it's the right kind of music or the right kind of message or the right kind of anything. And there's just a lot of stuff I cut out as far as bands I would choose to work with or like certain types of, you know, lyrical content I would want to be involved with, like making a record for, or like, I don't, you'll see, like, you'll never see me recording like a party band because I don't think, um, it does any, I don't think it's a good service to have to put out to kids anymore. Like, I think, I think it, it, it's not pushing a good message, you know? And, and for me growing, like getting older and not drinking or doing drugs, it's like, it's, it's just not something I would want to record and be stoked on and try to convince kids to like and listen to and take influence from. So it's like, 
I've instead of me going out there and standing on a podium and saying this is wrong or this band sucks or this band's idea is bad, like the way I've sort of transferred any power and influence I have has been to try to bring up the stuff that I think was worth bringing up, you know. And like at the end of the day, I'm in the back seat. Like I'm the dude behind the curtain most of the time. A lot of people don't really know who I am or what I even do or how involved I even am with a lot of the artists I work with. But what's important is that the right artists get out there and sort of use their power, you know, to to influence the next generation of kids. And that's how I feel like me transferring any sort of influence I have works in a really good way. And that's what I do like on a daily basis. Nice, dude. Yeah, yeah. I do think I do want to bring up, um, and I, 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 that's exactly how I feel um, is beneficial for for how it is. Is that there is not an agenda, but there is a part to be like I've been there, so I'm just letting you know it's probably not the best route to go. You know, and that that influence is like I said, it's subtle and it's not telling people how to live, but I think it's very, very important. Now, one thing I do think is getting lost though um, in this modern generation if i may and i'm not trying to bag on anybody is is comedy and just really stupid laughter and i wonder how that affects that because i've noticed that um there aren't those laugh out loud really really dumb moments or movies anymore that are happening like the jackass films or i remember the nutty professor flooring me or there's something about mary like in the theater those the the laughter's kind of been taken away a lot from society and been replaced with maybe memes or something like that. Do you feel that on a day-to-day basis that it, it is a little harder to laugh in life? Well, uh, yes and no. I'll agree with you in entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's gotten tight because uh, I think the, the world has gotten very politically correct and comedy has taken a big hit because of it. Like a lot of the shock value comedians from the 80s and 90s and and a lot of the movies we grew up like there's just so much stuff that doesn't fly anymore that used to be socially accepted and it's like you can't say that you can't do that like you can't make fun of this person it's very a lot of things are are checked really hard and a lot of careers are ended if if a person does or says something even if it's comedy you know and i'm not talking you know there's a difference between what is hate speech and, and a racist idiot and like a guy making a joke, I can see that difference. And I also understand the other side where some people could be upset if somebody, let's say, you know, Bill Burr comes out and makes a really racist joke in his act. Like it actually does damage to him way more now than it ever would, you know, 10, 10 years ago. People used to just laugh at that. Eddie Murphy opened his the biggest skit, uh, you know, one of the biggest comedy uh, shows ever. That what, What's that big Eddie Murphy movie? Like Michael Jackson. Oh. And he's got the red leather on. Yeah. It opens it with with her, her, like horrific gay slurs, mm-hmm. just bashing gay people. It, his career would be over today, over, 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 so over today. So it's like it's definitely. I feel like it's taken, um, it's taken like maybe some confidence or some. It, it's made comedians hesitate, you know. And and I'm not saying it's a bad thing because there's definitely stuff that needed to change, and and perceptions of what's what you should be making fun of and what everybody thinks is acceptable to be funny i'm not i'm not saying that uh that's wrong i'm just saying if i was a comedian i'd have to watch my tongue i'd have to be careful what i say i'd be worried about is this joke going to be interpreted by a certain group or community the wrong way and and it's really like 
I feel like it's made comedians hesitate, and I feel like comedy suffered because of it. Not because they don't get to say the racist word anymore, just because they're all wor- a little worried about what people are going to think about them anymore. And like when you're creating any kind of art, the more you worry about what people think about you, the worse your your end product is going to be. You know, so it maybe inherently that's just embedded in that world, and that's why things aren't as funny as they used to be. I don't really know, but. I mean, I, as far as my personal experience goes with comedy, I'm laughing all the time because I, I don't know, maybe we're just surrounded by funny people in my band or at the studio, but we can constantly find humor in the world. And I feel like whether or not I'm going to see a movie that knocks, you know, that knocks me on the floor and I'm hurting anytime soon, I don't know, but I still find ways to laugh, you know. Yeah, and I'm the same way in the day-to-day life. I, and I do, and I, you're completely right. I, and that's something that it's hard to explain is the time capsule of the 80s and what was acceptable. You know, obviously, Andrew Dice Clay would not be, the 80s version of Andrew Dice Clay would not be anything acceptable, nor really in hindsight should it be. So I'm not trying to say anything like that. But the point is, is that I guess with musicians, I feel that they might have to hesitate sometimes as well. When you have audiences running to an, a Jim Carrey movie, with Liar Liar, like I said, it's not offensive, but people are dying. Ace Ventura or Eddie Murphy, as we mentioned, even the Adam Sandler stuff that stuck with the whole generation. To, to lose that entertainment um, aspect, I guess, to go to a theater and just lose your mind and, and not be judgmental, maybe. I think that that's such a healthy thing. You know, and that's what my biggest fear is, is that I feel the um, that we can't we laugh in our circles, but we can't laugh outside of it in a way. Um, but, sure. I, I get that for sure. Yeah. I mean, most of my jokes are inside jokes, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like a lot of the goofs that I have with people that are around me are like ours and they're not public, you know, and and, and it did it definitely did internalize for whatever reason, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. It's definitely a, a real, it's definitely a real observation. I don't know. Uh, I don't know why that is, May, you know, maybe we are, bands are afraid of putting stuff out there that might scare, shock some fans or might be a little, a little like kind of low brow and it might do damage, you know, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of people I work with are very, privatized with their comedy you know absolutely um and that's good because again you don't want to be misinterpreted that's that's another thing I, I always forget to bring up is that yeah anything can be taken out of context now like times 55 where opposed before i think it was a different time um but with the comedy and i don't think it affects music really um i i in too much of an aspect do you see that where people do hesitate when they're writing lyrics or songs and tried to reword it where it's a little more um, in the gray area opposed to a black and white? Not really. I mean, in my world, for the stuff that, for the for the bands I work with or any issues we talk about, like, I don't really see people hesitating too much, you know? I mean, the, 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 mo- the closest I could have seen that come to is, like, um, a band I worked with a few, a couple of years ago put out a song that was very anti-alt-right. Um, and then that got some traction, made its way all the way up to Richard Spencer, who then like kind of like sicked his minions on the band. And it definitely changed the bands. It reached like a higher level than anyone ever thought it would go in that world of, of like idiots. And 
it definitely made the band kind of just think about like, Hey, if we're putting stuff out there, we have to be able to like stand behind this or like where they didn't expect the kind of blowback that it got from that community, you know, cause it's one thing to like go at something and talk a whole bunch of shit about it. And then to actually see them come back at you, it's like a different, you know, you have to be just ready for that. So I think, you know, anytime I get into a situation where we're, we're targeting something or it's political or social and heavily social in nature where like it's going to create a debate or a discussion. I just make sure people are ready to have that conversation or, or are actually mean what they say and are going to stand behind it, you know? And we, we, we kind of, we saw that like really full on, on, on this one particular song a few years ago. And, and it's made me just make sure that if a band comes in with an idea or some kind of moral high ground that they want to take and go after someone that that they actually mean what they're saying, so that they're not put in a weird position later, you know. But it really hasn't. Generally, uh, people use music to speak their mind, and it really hasn't changed. I haven't seen you know the current state of the world really change that. If anything, it's just amplified that because more people are frustrated today then you know and, and and sort of unrest is that is that a high for sure so there's definitely um a lot more people that relate to those kind of things anyway so you sort of have your army of people that agree with you when you're when you when you're putting those kind of messages into the world so it, 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 if anything bands are you know more more interested or more confident in sort of speaking their mind and going at things that they feel strongly against that's what I love about our genre. I really do. I do. That's one of my favorite things is that they're going to they're gonna speak their mind. They're going to be honest. Now, last time I talked to you, Will, I, I actually had you break down a song that I found was real special that you produced, and that was uh, Map Change by Every Time I Die. I'd like to do that again with you uh, on, okay. this, on this conversation, and I want to talk to you about um, Body Counts, No Lives Matter. Now, you did record the last two Body Count records, if I'm not mistaken, but Bloodlust received a Grammy nomination but uh, what was the whole recording process behind the song No Lives Matter? No Lives was one that we, I went out to L.A. to uh, the bass player's house, and we wrote that one in his garage, actually, hanging out there for a bit. And then I came back to my studio in Jersey, uh, finished it up, and I see I see met us met up with us over here. He's a Jersey guy too. He lives pretty close, like down the road from the studio. And um, yeah, he he came in initially. That song actually had uh, a different topic. A lot of people don't know that it was like taking stabs at um, like the different like sort of organized religion, the flaws of organized religion. And it was like a cool idea, but it didn't really. It didn't really come together with the song. We sort of wanted to, we wanted to go a different route with it. And then the No Lives Matter thing was like, we saw like the meme or something. It, be, it was like a popular like joke for a minute there. And we thought, you know, he came in with the idea of like, what if we do this No Lives Matter thing? And it's not about, it's not a black or white thing. It's about the rich and the poor. And we sort of say, you know, when it comes to the poor, No Lives Matter. And we're like, yep, that's the, that's the song. That's great. You know, so it was like a different spin on like a popular, uh, like a hot issue at the moment. Um, and we had a lot of fun with it. It was, re- it was a really cool song to make. Oh, such a great, great song, great video. I just remember having the goosebumps after. And, and Ice-T, um, I don't know, man. He's got a persona that you just kind of pay attention to. 
when you see him kind of yelling at you. So I thought it was a fantastic tune. Now, the Grammy nomination, when that happens, do you get any uh, part of that situation? Because it wasn't for that song. I'm trying to remember. It was for Black Hoodie, I think, the Grammys, right? Yeah, it was for Black Hoodie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we went. We all went down there. Nice. It was cool. Body, Body Count actually played the like pre-party because uh, they don't air metal mm-hmm. on television for whatever reason they you know they're afraid of a uh, of heavy music on on cable tv so we were not nominated for the award and then invited down to play like there's a pre-show where they kind of run a run a, another version of the grammys where they have performances and they give out awards and it's it's run just like the the regular grammys but it's the unaired part of the show so we just went down to the it was that madison square garden and we all went down for that, and it, it was cool. It was really fun. It was. Um, it's funny. We thought we were going to win because of our setup. I'll tell you, this is a funny story. We're backstage. Um, Body Count just finished playing, and they all the ushers. There's like this, you know, huge crew of like ushers and security. They take everybody that's on the stage that's in the Body Count like entourage, and they put them all in a pile that's right by the curtain to go out to receive the award. So we're, they, we finish playing and everybody gets like hurtled into this little, little area that's 10 feet from the podium where you would receive the award. And they're like, okay, everybody needs to just stay right here. Like, wait right here. And, and we, they don't tell you if you're going to win. You have no idea up until that card's pulled out, you know? So for that moment, everyone's like, we're going to win this Grammy. Like we're, we're all, why are they putting us here? Like they wouldn't put us here if we weren't going out there. And then Mastodon gets called and we are immediately like meat hooked like off the stage as fast as i've ever seen the stage been cleared and then the mastodon dudes rock up and get the grammy and it was like we didn't care about winning the grammy at all it was just cool to go and like be recognized and then for those dudes to play and stuff it no everyone was just having a blast and it was just like cool to get the nod you know but then in that 10 seconds we were pissed because we were like they've set us up like it was like a joke you know um but it, yeah, I mean, I was stoked Mass on one. They had been nominated a bunch, and I've I've been a huge fan of the band for forever. So if anybody was going to win, I'm I'm glad it was them. If you think about it, and I thought it's a hilarious story, but like if you think about it, if they don't know, I guess they're just like the production teams, like just get everybody ready type of thing. Yeah, I mean, dude, they we but had that's... we we at that moment we're like, oh, we won. We were pre-celebrating the way they had us set up, and then we got dragged off that stage as fast as as anyone could be. It was hilarious. Growing up watching award shows too, usually the band that performs or is in that setup does win. I, I have that like recollection in my mind of seeing like Metallica play and then walk up and get it from backstage. But anyways, yeah, I mean, who knows, man? Yeah. I mean, there's it's it's one of those things where it's just cool to be a part of it. You know, the yeah. stuff we do doesn't really get recognized on that kind of level, and I'm definitely not one who really cares or like tries to get awards or or platinum records or anything. If I was, I don't think I'd be recording the kind of music I am, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but it's cool. Like every once in a while to just see it on that kind of stage and just know that like, you know, okay, at least someone's paying attention if we're, if we're here. So it's, it's, it's nice. You know, I'm, I'm, I was stoked for those guys. They've been a band for so long and it was, it was for them. It was like a really good day. So, Awesome, man. Awesome. Now, I do I do want to talk about, as we mentioned, guys, I just want to remind everybody, we're talking about the Fit for an Autopsy record. The Sea of Tragic Beasts is coming out October 25th, guys. But I do want to bring up another product that came out this year, man. You have a very signature guitar sound, as 
many fit for an autopsy fans know. And recently, you have created some software to allow others to recreate this with uh, STL Tonality. Tell us about this product and all the steps you had to take to create it. Sure. Yeah, I um, they're a, they're a software company that's been making like guitar emulation stuff for for a while now and selling different kinds of packs for um, you know the digital like Kempers and Axfexes. If you play guitar, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. If you don't, I'm sorry. But um, they approached me a while ago about doing some kind of software, and um, I was kind of off it initially because I'm a big amp guy. Uh, all my records are you know i have this cool collection of amps and cabs and pedals and i've never found anything in the computer that's really competed with it i've always just i don't know if it's old school or whatever but i just never enjoyed the sound of hearing a guitar through a computer it just didn't sound right every record that was made with them i just knew it, it always had a tell and it always just sounded a little wrong to me, you know so i told these guys like look we can try something but i'm pretty I'm pretty against the idea of doing it if it's not going to be literally an amp, you know, in, in a computer. And what they went out, they got the, who I think is the, just the best software designer in the world. Um, this guy, Frederico, who's just a monster, uh, you know, software guru. And they spent like months coding this amp that I've had for like 20 years that I know so well. And they sent me back this like prototype plugin, and it just lit- it just fully blew me away. It was literally my app, like in in a computer. I don't know how, I don't know how it's done or how it happened, but I, I couldn't believe it. So we just went. I was all in at that point, and we just spent about a year developing this thing, and um, it's really literally true to like my sound, my guitar tones. Comes with a ton of features, and um, if you like. Yeah, if you know anything about what I do, you know how like meticulous that guitar chain setup is that I use to get guitar tones on records. And they just recreated the entire thing, you know, using schematics. And it was this really impressive body of work. And uh, the end result is just awesome. Now I'm just using it all the time. and I'm, I'm super happy with it. The response to it's been really good. And yeah, I think it's just like such a cool tool, something I would have killed for as a kid like just starting to make records and not having access to that kind of equipment and now it just kind of gives it to you you know for a very cheap price and yeah it's just cool it's cool to like make that and imagine when i was like you know starting to make records like how important this would have been for me to have so now it's out there in the world and it's it's pretty awesome this technology and i want to i want to plug that real quick it's stltone.com right to get it yeah if you go to if you go to stltones.com all the information's there for it perfect and does that technology scare you a little bit when you get it back and you're like wow this is exactly my amp um it doesn't scare me i knew it was coming <laughs> you know eventually computers are just gonna do everything better than the real thing and in the recording world it's been getting better over the years significantly better you know from even from when i just started but it's it's definitely um eventually i think all the technology is going to catch up to the to the analog world uh it just hadn't at that point for me you know so it's i see it all going there and that's kind of part of why i was like it would be cool to maybe you know part of why i stay current um even though I use a lot of analog stuff, I do stay very up to date and current on what's going on in the software world because I do think it'll turn over one day. 
Nice, dude. So before I get you off the phone, I got one more question for you, Will. I do want to promote one more time. Everybody, Fit for an Autopsy's latest record, The Sea of Tragic Beasts, is coming out October 25th. Make sure you pre-order it, guys. And the tour is starting. You guys are going to be touring with Rivers of Nile, Lorna Shore, for a month straight. Now, Will, are you going to be performing on the tour with the band uh, this time? I, or no? I won't be, unfortunately, but I'll be at a bunch of the shows. Nice. I um, Yeah, it's been a while since I've actually played with those guys live, and they're just like, crushing it right now with with tim playing guitar and as the the five piece that they are that's really the live band you know so i don't want to throw a wrench in it i feel like i'll make it worse if i show up so <laughs> i'll just hang out but um you keep- yeah i'll be at a few but it, yeah it, that that tour is gonna be great we're, we're super excited for it some of the some of our buddies who we've toured with over the years and some of the cooler younger bands we found you know are, are on that bill and i can't wait to get discarnate over here they're like huge shout out to discarnate because all, all the metal bands that have come out in the past few years they're definitely one of my favorites uk band three piece that's just absolutely crushing and having them on the tour was like super awesome for us awesome no you keep making those these records man fit for an autopsy we love them as fans and that is your part we're stoked on it but the last question i did want to ask you because you've been producing so many bands now so many records that have been important to my life and a lot of people out there and you did grow up listening to hardcore some of those recordings weren't the best what is your favorite record growing up that has the worst production and does that does that affect you listening to it today Ooh, that's a tough one because there are so many bad ones. Um, favorite with the worst. Uh, I could okay. The first one that pops in my mind is Vision of Disorder, mm. the the self titled, the one with the little green yeah. paint spill. That one. Uh, I don't think that recording is very good, but I loved loved that record when I was a kid. And uh, uh, yeah, he, it, it, I'm, I I'm only imagining if I heard that with like a crazy awesome production on it how much more i would be into it but that was a great record i think that one might have sounded a little weird uh at the time when i was a kid man there's like so much unlistenable stuff from that era it's it's hard to like go back to now for sure but you know it's funny like part of uh this thing i've been doing the past few years was i've been kind of seeking out older records when i was a kid that i really liked and trying to like remix them and remaster them to get them out to the world like not that they were bad sounding or whatever but it's like you notice like as 20 years go by and your spotify playlist is cycling through modern music and old music it's like yeah some of that stuff is just like not competitively there on the recording end anymore because these were bands with like this is before computers it's bands with really low budgets they're just starting out they're making these seminal records but nobody knows it yet and they're just recording you know, in two days live at some guys, like somebody's studio. And it's like, here's this thing that turned into this great, this great record that now lives forever with this like trashy recording, you know, and some of them are great. Some of them are awesome. And like, there were a lot, there was a lot of stuff that came out of that era of like the late 90s scene around here, mostly tracks East and Eric Rachel and Steve Evitt's records that still hold up and sound awesome, you know? Um, but yeah, I was like, I was like going back and we had done some with Poison the Well, we did some with 18 Visions, there's like a few more in the pipeline that I can't talk about yet, but I've been like remixing, remastering some old stuff just to kind of juice them up a little bit so they just kind of sit nice on your playlist today and, and sound good. And, and uh, yeah, I definitely would love to continue doing that. So if anybody's listening to this podcast 
from an older band that has an old record that they don't love uh the sound of like shoot it my way and and i'll hook it up is is that a direct uh, call to VOD about that self-titled record? No, it's cool. I'm not, <laughs> some of them I'm just not going to touch. Oh, you I know, gotcha. I wouldn't. I couldn't. It's because for me that even though it's got its flaws, it's still uh, to perfect. me it's like yeah, yeah. I don't want to go. I don't want to go in on that. That's that's cool. Absolutely, man. Well, dude, well, I got to tell you, love you, love having you on the show. Thank you so much for calling back in. Everybody, make sure you guys pick up the latest fit for an autopsy record. Pre-order it. Sea of Tragic Beasts. It's coming out October 25th. Make sure that you catch the tour dates, guys. Fantastic package. Fit for an autopsy. Rivers of Nile, Lorna Shore. Make sure you guys look for tickets. They're going to be touring. I believe it's a 30-day tour all across North America. So with that, Will Putney, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, man, for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Much appreciated.
the Metal Sucks Podcast.
the Metal Sucks Podcast. Here we go!
All right, guys, and we are back. First couple songs you heard is off the latest record, The Sea of Tragic Beasts by Fit for an Autopsy. Dudes, make sure you pick it up. You heard us talking about it in the interview. First song you heard is Mirrors. Make sure you check out that video. Second song, Shepherd. Again, the album came out this past Friday. Pick it up. Last song you heard, How to Play It. Big fan of Ramala. Me and Brandon. Ramala. What the fuck? How do you even say I don't say even know. Who Kill a Celebrity shit? is one of my favorite yeah, songs. Yeah, we, we are a huge fan of Ramala. They put out a record this last September, which I missed until I just saw it at the record store. So I'm like, I'm playing a fucking Ramala song on the show. That is the last grasp of street rock and roll. That is the title track of the record. It's out now. That's Kill a Celebrity is, is seriously, that's my favorite Beatles cover of all time. <laughs> exactly. I really love that, it. Yeah. It's, it's a great record. So the fact that, uh, again, not a band that I, I even knew was still around just super happy to see them going on and for people that know don't know that's that's rob lynn from blood for blood that's his other band he's been doing it for years but anyways had to play a new song by then guys with that i got it first off we got an email this week from a dude named max it was a long email it's a music episode email max we did not forget about you i will write you back because i i was busy this week i've been super busy oh and um i'm gonna write you back he got daddy shit we're gonna do it i will do a music (laughs) episode based on your email max so uh don't worry about that so because i did like your emails it was a good thing so everybody else write emails in come on i'll write back i promise i won't take as long as i took for max's here rise to offend at gmail.com we love conversing with you guys if you want us to have music episodes um ask us questions and we'll fucking throw our shit out there we'll for you guys we'll fucking answer them we'll fucking whoa, answer whoa, them whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Just unnecessary I, I, f word she finally gets in the opener and now she's like i'm fucking no, taking she, over. yeah she's like <laughs> we're going extreme yeah <laughs> we're not going extreme extreme sylvia <laughs> she just came in here on a skateboard right off a half pipe <laughs> drinking a mountain dew that was an What's inside up, joke <laughs> that was an inside laugh that she said we're not going extreme that was an inside oh. laugh. oh you, you didn't even pick up on it. I didn't uh, even pick up. I was just going from the heart. We're not going extreme. We're not going extreme. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> With that, again, you guys rule. Fans, friends, everybody out there. The five-star reviews on iTunes mean the world. Thank you, guys. Keep them coming. We love the comments. You guys are the best. Make sure you, you keep paying attention to us four's other podcasts, Rise to Offend, where it's a documentary podcast. We've got so many episodes out there on Metal Guys. We did one on the band we don't talk about on this show. We did one on Peter Steele, Phil Anselmo, G.G. Allen, that was gross. Rollins. <laughs> Henry Rollins, Marilyn Manson. If you guys are fans and you want to get a whole detailed documentary, go check that out. Rise to Offend is the name of that podcast, guys. Um, and you guys have been great on that as well with the emails. So with that, until next week, our friends. The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. <laughs>